वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणुरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु वी स्टडी द सेकंड चैप्टर ऑफ द भगवद गीता श्री कृष्णस टीचिंग ऑन ज्ञान योग द नेचर ऑफ द सेल्फ हु एम आई व्हाट एम आई एक्चुअली दैट इज नाउ ओवर द नेक्स्ट ग्रेट सब्जेक्ट next great theme of the second chapter is karma yoga that's going to come later but in between there is an interlude so where sri krishna is going to talk some common sense to arjuna so that's the part we are at the verses are simple meaning is also simple not much philosophy in there but we will ignore those verses or dismiss them lightly at our own peril often probably to put our life back in shape this is exactly what we need so let's hear what sri krishna has to say we saw in the last class the 31st verse swadharmam apichavekshya na vikampitum arhasi dharmyaadhi yuddhat shreyo nanyat kshatriyasya na vidyate anyat kshatriyasya na vidyate he says that um, considering your duty you should not uh, hesitate to perform this admittedly terrible duty of, of of fighting a righteous war against uh, the evil because there is no greater good fortune for a kshatriya for a warrior than a righteous battle now here the key concept is of swadharma and last time we discussed it i'm not going to go um, deep into it that's the uh, basis on which krishna is going to argue his case not now not on the basis of high philosophy or vedanta but on the basis of uh, morality and a sense of honor sense of dignity and duty so that's what's going to happen now for the next few verses up to up to 38 yes up to 38 before he switches to the next great teaching of karma yoga verse number 32 yadrichaya chopapannam यदृछया चोपन्न स्वर्गद्वारृत स्वर्गद्वारृत सुखिन क्षत्रिया पार्थ सुखिन क्षत्रिया पार्थ लभंते युद्धमीदृश लभंते युद्धमीदृश and happy o partha are the kshatriyas who get such a battle which has come of its own accord and is an open gateway to heaven so here if you read closely you'll notice some, some something interesting in the language that krishna uses i had mentioned it last time that often these verses are a direct answer to certain questions that arjuna had raised in the what we saw in the first chapter his objections to this what he is supposed to do right now his objections the language he used for example look at this verse sukhina kshatriya partha he says oh arjuna happy indeed is the warrior who gets a, a, an occasion like this to a, a duty which is so clear 
Now, happy is the warrior. If you contrast this with in uh, chapter 1, verse number 37, Arjuna had asked a question. Swajanam hi katham hatva How can we be happy by, by killing our own relatives? Which seemed like a very pertinent question. But look at the language he used. He said, how can we be happy if, we, if I do this? How can I be happy if I do this? And what is Krishna saying here? Happy indeed is the warrior who gets a chance to do, that, to, to do this. Uh, see, the whole thing, the whole picture changes when the, the little self, self with a small s, is removed from the picture. With what kind of a mindset had Arjuna approached this battle? With a, he thought he is going to take revenge on the Kauravas for all the wrongs they have done him. That is true, they, they had wronged him. He is going to get the kingdom which is ri uh, righteously his and his uh, brothers. But notice what, and there is nothing wrong in this, you can't find fault with it. It's uh, common sense. But there is, in a deeper analysis, it reveals one thing. It is all self-centered. It's all self-centered. I will take revenge. I want revenge. I will get the kingdom for myself and my elder brother and my brothers. Because it is our kingdom. Now what happens is, when suddenly the little self gets a shock. My relatives, see it's still the self. My relatives. What will I do with the kingdom? This is the framework he is thinking now. The same thing which was an incentive for him to fight a battle has now become a disincentive. He is now lo no longer feeling motivated because he says, hey, I don't want revenge at this cost. What is the he says, what is the use of a, of a kingdom drenched in the blood of our relatives? But what is he thinking? Kingdom for myself. And so, what is the use of getting such a kingdom? What Krishna is now doing is, he is reframing the entire problem, not in terms of the little self of Arjuna, in terms of what should be done. What is the duty of a warrior in this situation? It is to protect society from evildoers. And not because you are going to personally take revenge on those guys. Okay, those guys are villains. But not because you are going to take revenge on them or you will not, don't want to take revenge on them. No, in any case, you are appointed by society to protect it. This is what you have to do. It is not relevant then whether they are your relatives or not. If a policeman starts thinking, how can I put, arrest this guy? He is my brother or he is uh, a nephew. Then society is in deep trouble. So he is reframing it in terms of ethics, an impersonal code of ethics and duty. And of course, it's the direct answer to uh, Arjuna's questions. Also, Yadrichaya, without any effort, you have got this tremendous opportunity to make your life meaningful. You are a warrior, you have got a particular duty in society. And now an opportunity has come. How many people get an opportunity to do something good and great in their life? Here you are being called upon to do something. Rise to the occasion. And it's a very beautiful phrase. Swarga dwaram apavritam yadrichaya. Without any effort, the gates of heaven have swung open for you. Here he means it in a particular context of Arjuna's um, the battle. But it is true for all of us in the wider context of spiritual life. 
See, literally the gates of heaven in the sense of spiritual life, liberation, moksha, God-realization, those gates have swung open for us. If what a great, great blessing it is to hear this message, to have this opportunity, to have a mind which wants to pursue this. We all do, otherwise you wouldn't be here today. You all, we are all spiritual seekers in some sense. What Krishna is telling us is, recognize the great blessing that there is here. You are all idealists. You might not think of, you say, oh Swami, not, not me. You are. Um, I forget the name of the book. Uh, a very recent book, Mark Edmondson. I think in defense of ideals, self and ideals. It's, it's a very recent book. I read the book review and I was browsing through the book itself. The first page is so shocking. I, I don't remember the exact language, but... Um, it's, it goes something like this. He says, the day of ideals is long past. We live in an eminently pragmatic age where everybody wants how to be successful in this society, how to make a little more money, how to get the pleasure and the power and the wealth that one can get. Whatever helps me to get that is practical. Whatever does not is irrelevant to me and silly and meaningless at worst. Ideals, ideals have been dismissed as delusional or not practical, not useful. Then he goes on to say that um, um, the knowledge that we consider to be useful in, in, in societies, he means especially advanced societies like this and where more so than in New York. The knowledge that we consider to be useful is not spiritual knowledge, is not philosophical knowledge, is not religious knowledge. Not knowledge, talk about higher ideals and ethics. No. What we consider to be useful is what is immediately helpful to us to attain our uh, hedonistic goals. Some kind of practical knowledge. This is enormous demand to be practical. Practical. Practical in what? Practical to do what? To earn a few dollars more? To enhance my pleasures, the, sen sen uh, the pleasures of my senses? That's, that's what the meaning of practical today. And then he goes on, in the next third paragraph he goes on to say, academia today, if you go to college today, university today, they, are, they will relieve you of the guilt of not being idealistic. <laughs> or he says, anybody who's taken a degree today in uh, um, sociology or um, philosophy, modern philosophy, uh, the cleverest of philosophers are on your side to show that any kind of ideals is foolishness. Those who follow ideals, idealism is somehow delusional. Those who follow ideals are either hypocrites or cheats or they, or they are stupid. Um, all of them will create, use their, all their intellectual prowess to create doubt about, about whether any kind of idealism, just including of course religion, all of that. So the whole book is actually a defense of, of being idealistic in the modern age. He says, as a result of this, what we have, we have got is, he says, we have got poison as a result of this. He quotes Nietzsche, uh, who was at the source of all of this today. <laughs> but he himself was not, uh, he did not uh, approve of it. He, he said, this is what's going to happen in the, uh, in the wake of what he called the death of God. It's going to happen. But he, he was not in support of this. He says modern man, modern man at that time, 
200 years ago he says modern man has his poisons poisons for the day and a poisons for the night so the way we keep ourselves engaged in uh, you know in forgetting anything higher and grander and transcendental everything here now finished so krishna is saying saying here how lucky we are that we have a mind which believes which feels that there is something transcendental can you hear me at the back yeah, yeah. that there is something transcendental there is something higher we call it god call it moksha call it um liberation whatever salvation but something beyond the world of senses we truly believe it we truly believe a spiritual solution for the suffering uh, suffering of um, you know life is possible in that book mark Ed- edmondson he goes on to um, talk about uh, buddha confucius and christ as embodying the the spiritual ideal he says so we are blessed that we have a mind which has this this feeling that a spiritual ideal is possible and it is for me and it is help it's helpful to me it's real for me and helpful to me sukhi nakshatriya partha labhante yuddham idrisham happy uh, here krishna of course means it, means it in a slightly narrower sense that uh, for you your life will become meaningful if you do if you fulfill your role as a warrior in a good cause all of us are not called very few of us are called to be warriors but in each of our professions personal life in um, a professional life we are continuously faced with this decision between what is called shreya and preya shreya means that which is good for us and for society beneficial i know what is right preya is that which is easy that which is pleasant and often the two are not the same often that which is easy and pleasant i know nobody has to tell me i know that if i complete my assignment tonight that's the thing i should be doing and um, uh, not watching a game on tv or my special my favorite soap opera on uh, you know i know nobody has to tell me really but that one is difficult and um, being a couch potato is easy shreya and prayer i know really nobody has to tell me this so this is what shri krishna is pointing out suppose one does not do this if one does not follow this path of shreya the that which is beneficial for me then what will happen 33rd verse अथ चेतम अथ चेतम संग्राम न कसी संग्राम न कसी तत स्वधर्म कीर्ति तत स्वधर्म कीर्ति हिवा पापमसी हिवा पापमसी if you do not do it that which is before you right now then you will number one fail in your duty number two you lose your reputation 
whatever you have earned till now as a great warrior the person who does the right thing you'll lose that reputation and third you will actually positively incur sin papa papa remember that uh, in india this is common idea the law of karma the law of karma is if you do what is right you know what is right and you do it that is called dharma and if you do something that has an effect the effect of doing dharma is called punya and that punya gives rise to a result in your life the result of punya pun literally if you translate punya it will mean merit the result of merit is sukha happiness if i consciously deliberately do what i know to be wrong that is called adharma not dharma adharma and the result of adharma is what is called papa demerit that's the closest word we have to sin demerit and the demerit will give rise to an effect in our lives which is called dukkha suffering some kind of suffering so all the suffering and happiness that we get in our lives is due to punya and papa in, in earlier lives maybe and th- that punya and papa merit and demerit is earned by our own righteous conduct or unrighteous conduct and here krishna is saying not only will you fail in your duty not only will you um lose your reputation and uh, and but you'll also positively incur adharma that is papa and the result of papa is dukkha suffering you will get suffering as a result of this this is an argument based on uh, you know appealing to a person's sense of duty sense of honor you will lose your reputation often we say that why should we care who, what other people think of you krishna will say people will criticize you we should why should we care this is true in one sense but it's also not true in another sense our reputation in society is a good feedback what today we might call feedback often we are delusional about ourselves what other people say you don't have to swallow it completely but check is it true um to what extent is it true who said that socrates i think kabir das also said it keep your critics near you they keep you clean without soap and water kabir das also said it yes nindak nihari rakho keep your keep those who criticize you near you so that they'll keep you clean without soap and water uh, socrates also said something like that yes that is true so listening to public opinion it's not the polls are not just for politicians <laughs> for us also you don't have to take a poll uh, but there are interesting exercises that we do you know, when you go through say an mba for example so what is your self image and what is the perceived image that means what other people perceive and you'd be surprised often it comes as a big blow as a shock on the whole the result will always be this we are nowhere near as good as we think we are <laughs> nobody sees us as as good as we think we ourselves are but also the reverse nobody thinks of us as badly as we think of ourselves often people have low self esteem lot of people and they are very fine people actually other people um, see them as not, no you are not not bad you are not particularly great either but <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
somebody joked that most people think of themselves as better than average. That's statistically impossible. How can most people be better than average? <laughs> yeah. Sri Ramakrishna often used arguments like this. In the midst of all his spiritual teaching, he would use a lot of common sense. There was this man who, in order to avoid the struggle in his village, fighting with poverty and keeping his family going, he used, and, but he did generally really like Sri Ramakrishna and he had a religious tendency also. See, it's not false when that person used to come and tell Sri Ramakrishna, I want to stay with you. I want to do religious spiritual practice, meditation and japa. And he used to do that too. And he, it's not that it was entirely a, a kind of a made up thing. But it was also neglecting his duties at uh, back home. Uh, his uh, wife and kids were back home and they're suffering from poverty. One day Sri Ramakrishna said to him sharply, and who's going to take care of your wife and kids? The neighbors? And so he sent him back. See, Sri Ramakrishna who encouraged people to come to solitude and practice meditation and spiritual disciplines, he sends this man back to samsara to, to take care of. You cannot become spiritual by, by escaping. Yeah. Escapism and spirituality are not the same thing. I myself have seen, you know, we become monks by giving up all uh, worldly duties, responsibilities, activities, and you become enter a monastery. But when I was in the monastery, the first thing I thought, my first day itself, um, I thought that I'm going to be taught how to meditate and do puja and study the Gita and things like that. All that was there, but they said, here is a hostel. A hostel with, with students who stay there. There are 40 kids there. Go and look after them. I said, 40 kids? If I'd married, I would have had one or two kids maybe. <laughs> 40 kids. <laughs> now, over the years, I got this feeling, maybe uh, I should be like one of those wandering ascetics, you know, by stay by myself. And I did that. I took uh, leave and, uh, from the order and, and then I went off by myself into the Himalayas. I, uh, there are times when I begged for food and at least on one occasion I slept under a tree. More out of uh, the adventure of it than the sheer necessity. Uh, but um, um, one thing, and I lived in, in a little cottage over the, um, the river the, the, um, the Gango, in Gangotri. So, one thing I realized was that the structure of ashram life, where in a community you have to get up at this time, you have to attend prayers at this time, you have to sit with everybody and eat at a particular time, you have to clean your room, you have to uh, go to the school and teach the kids, you have to go to the office and do the correspondence, you have to this one after another throughout the day. And you have to do it because it's, it's a community. You're part of it. And the time you have for meditation in the morning and the evening, I found over time that that short time, though I'm tired and there's less time for meditation, but that was more effective than when you're completely left to yourself. At first it's wonderful. I could meditate for hours and hours at a stretch. And I used to think, wow, I should have started with this. But then... Two weeks is one thing and 20 years is something else. Yeah. So over a period of two months, the longest I did that was for two months at one stretch. I found 
that my day, day is sinking to a level lower than what I was doing in the ashram. Then that, that showed me that, uh, no, there is a value to structure in life. There is a value to duties in life. See, the duties in which God has put us, we struggle against it, but they are not against our spiritual life. They are actually helpful for our spiritual life. We are in a hurry. We want nirvikalpa samadhi right away. And my office work and picking up the kids from school, it, it's all disturbing me. Otherwise, I could have become enlightened long ago. <laughs> oh, that's what we think. Don't kid yourselves. Uh, it's because of you guys that I'm not enlightened. Oh, no. <laughs> not at all. It's because of family and job and society that we have attained the little bit of genuine progress that we have today. Yes. So, yes. Yes. True, he said that. Don't don't give up your duties um, by force. He used to give a particularly gruesome example of a wound. A scab is forming over it. If you scratch it, it'll start bleeding again. Let it heal. And the dead skin will fall off by itself. In the same way, your duties in samsara will slowly get reduced. What happens is when they do get reduced, we are so addicted to it. We don't think we are, we, we are addicted, but we are addicted. People are addicted to it. Brought up kids. They have grown up. They have their own family now. Now we are eager to bring up the grandkids. Are you really wanted uh, in your kids' families? Maybe a Thanksgiving, yes, but more than that? <laughs> no. There should be a general process of being, for, for being mature and elevating yourself above it. The old um, ashrama system, Brahmacharya ashrama, Garastha ashrama, Vanaprastha ashrama and Sannyas ashrama. That means first you are a student, a young person, getting ready for life. Then you are a married person. Um, you have a house, a job, maybe you have a family, a partner, and then you go from that to a retired person. Retired means, retired is our word for it. Vanaprastha is, the, is a much more <laughs> interesting word. It means uh, the one who has gone to the forest. So, which means you withdraw. Not completely. You still give society the benefit of your wisdom and your expertise which you have gathered over the years. But you are not, you are not completely uh, involved in samsara as much. And then finally you are ready to become a spiritual seeker all by yourself, a monk. If not formally, at least internally you are like that. That shows a process of maturation. I have had so many people tell me, I have known them, friends for example, um, who when we were, before, before I became a monk, when we were in college, all they wanted was um, a, a, you know, a, a fine job with a high paying job and a family and a nice car to drive and a good place to live in and things like that. 20 years later I meet them and they've got exactly what they wanted. They don't see it that way. But I see it, literally. I know at least a couple of cases where when I was about to become a monk, my friends asked, why are you becoming a monk? What's the big deal? And so we had this discussion about what do you want in life? 
and they had told me certain things. 20 years later, I see that the person has got all of them and unhappy, inevitably unhappy. Who's become happy with those things? But it's worthwhile going through that experience. Now what do you want? Now they get the feeling that, okay, I've got a job, I've got a wife or a husband, I've got a family, but I feel sort of trapped because in the sense, the sense begins to grow that this is it. There's nothing much more that's going to happen. Young people won't understand that. You wait for 20 years. <laughs> you suddenly realize if you're honest and a uh, little uh, realistic that, yes, this is it. It's only going to get worse from now on. <laughs> Kids are going to grow up and um, go away. Uh, body is going to get older and sicker and <laughs> less capable. The world is going to move ahead without me. Yeah. Uh, so all of these, inevitably, they're going to happen. Now, what does uh, uh, our society, unfortunately, a modern society, has no antidote to this. Their only reply is, well, um, earn more, replace iPhone 7 with iPhone 8. That's the only answer. A little, little more of the same thing, but that's, that's not going to solve it. What does the ashrama system of ancient India, what did they, in principle, what did they say? Grihastha ashrama, the householder stage. You see, the gradation of values, kama, artha, dharma, moksha. Pleasure. Notice that pleasure is, children, maybe teenagers, are pleasure-centric. But by the time you are um, in your 20s or 30s, how much of your time is spent in partying, in, in chasing pleasure? Very little, if any. Most of your time is spent in looking after the family, your job, maintaining things in the house and in your office and things like that. Most of your time is spent in fulfilling your responsibilities. Obviously. So that is called artha. One step higher. Kama, pleasure, chasing pleasure. And then artha, career, family responsibilities, social responsibilities. Beyond that? What's beyond that? You expand outwards. Dharma is higher than that. Not just for myself. Not just for the family. Now that I have got this, expand beyond that. So when people will come and say, we, now what do I do with life? Now I'm in my 40s and I know, I've got it. I have a, a, a spouse and kids and a career. I sort of know it's going to go this way, but I sort of feel what else is going to happen in society? What else is going to happen to me in life? Now he's not asked, looking for a spiritual answer. If I start say that, do you sit and meditate and breathe like this and meditate uh, on Om? That's not quite what he's looking for. The answer given by the that ashrama uh, uh, and the gradation of values is that you expand outwards. Now do something for the larger community. It's not an intuitive answer. How can I become happier? Instead of trying to make this person happier, try to make other people happier. You will see you'll be happier. This will not work with for the for the average uh, kid or teenager, they have to go through life and fulfill certain personal goals. And when that mature, maturity comes, for some it comes much earlier, some it comes much later. Then expand outwards. A family does that. In a natural way, a family makes you less self-centered and more 
family center now it's more for the kids more for the family but then you have to expand beyond that it's still biological family is biological you have to expand beyond that community people who need your help it will make you happier swami vivekananda said unselfishness in the long run is more paying but it requires maturity to understand that we think if i'm selfishly pursuing the goal what's the goal make number 1 happy who's number 1 i make this number 1 happy then everything will be all right keep trying and doesn't work this number 1 is a black hole can't be filled with anything <laughs> at one point the maturity must come i will do something for others see um a lot of work has recently been done these are very old things but in a modern form positive psychology is working on this so in positive psychology seligman martin seligman i think uh, authentic happiness there are websites you can go and take the test and find out how happy you are <laughs> you guaranteed to be less happy after the test than you were <laughs> <laughs> yeah very interesting tests um Dave, uh, what seligman found was to put it very briefly he said um, happiness is a function of three things h is equal to p plus e plus m happiness is a function of pleasure engagement meaning pleasure engagement meaning pleasure is the first thing that we try to do when we, we, we i want to be happy so eat a cookie and go to your favorite restaurant or watch a movie the what we run towards to become happy is pleasure and it does give an immediate burst of happiness some kind of little elevation it gives but it's very limited it's very limited why first of all it's transitory the happiness that you get from eating a cookie is just few seconds once it's down your gullet it's gone the happiness is gone unhappiness starts after that then it's habit forming next time you need more of that or or better variety of that the law of diminishing marginal utility in economics the each unit you consume gives you less and less satisfaction so first cookie gives you a lot of happiness second one little less third one little less fourth one nothing at all fifth one you'll feel sick so diminishing marginal utility because of these reasons um and then there are so many other problems uh, for example um the we change the same thing which used to make you happy when you were a teenager no longer makes you happy it'll just irritate you the same uh, our capacities are limited how much will you eat how many movies will you watch how many vacations will you take take capacity to enjoy you'll get exhausted you'll get tired you'll will finally break down if you try to consume too much so all of these are limited and therefore pleasure is not the not the solution for in our search for happiness luckily there is something better um seligman says engagement engagement is much greater happiness comes when you like what you are doing if you are one of those fortunate people who enjoy your careers whatever you are doing it need not be a career sometimes if you don't enjoy the work that you are doing um hobby people take up hobbies because of that and activity see the difference between engagement and pleasure is this watching a game on tv is pleasure going out and playing the game is engagement 
This is the difference. Actually playing a game out there might not be all pleasurable. It's hard work. But it gives happiness. It gives satisfaction. And so Seligman found invariably engagement would give more satisfaction than pleasure. Remember the equation. H, happiness, total happiness is equal to on one side is H. On the other side of the uh, equation is pleasure, engagement, meaning. Engagement gives more happiness, lasting happiness compared to pleasure. But even there, there's a limit. Workaholic. People are, they work day and night. But there are many people who after retirement, they break down. Because there's nothing more in life. They feel meaningless, helpless. Mm. Nervous breakdown. Burnout. What is the term? Burnout. Mm. There is something which gives more happiness than even engagement. What is that? Meaning. A purpose, a higher purpose in life, a meaningful life. Usually, not always, but usually meaning always involves, or usually involves other people. Where you can do something for other people. So he said, happiness is a function of pleasure, engagement, meaning. Pleasure gives momentary, immediate burst of happiness, but it's, it's very little. And it's very problematic. Engagement gives more happiness than pleasure. And meaning in life, if you are lucky and fortunate enough to find a meaningful and purposeful life, and one clue to that, how to find meaning in your life is, what can I do for other people? How can I make other people happy? That will immediately give meaning to your life. So, um, these three. Now, when I read this, immediately... What came to my mind was pleasure, engagement, meaning. Do you see kama, artha, dharma? Kama is pleasure, literally. You can map it. Engagement is, um, artha is, artha literally means wealth, but it means career, uh, success, name and fame. In a general sense, artha is overall success and um, attainments in life. Higher than that, um, meaning and dharma you have to stretch dharma is a wide term but you can stretch it to morality meaning a purposeful life moksha is beyond these three Seligman does not include moksha uh, so these three that's why at, at certain point in life you have to go beyond pleasure and your career you have to expand outwards into what is called dharma that gives more satisfaction We've gone way off topic. Oh no, not really. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a good way to think. Of, I'm not as happy as I want to be. All right, let me check. Mm. Yes. Swamiji, they say God resides in your heart. Mm. And they say follow your heart. These are good uh, slogans. But what do you mean follow your heart? And how many people can follow their heart? What um, Arjuna would say, my heart tells me that I will not fight this battle and I want to become, I'll go to, go to the Himalayas and meditate. Disastrous for him and for everybody else concerned. Yes, there's a point to that. Because when Krishna said, Swabhava, your own uh, nature, your heart, oh, if consistently if he's telling you something, that's probably your own nature. Yeah. So that's something to listen to. Um in this society especially, 
especially for the last 30 to 40 years, young people have been continuously told that find your meaning in life, find your purpose in life, find what find your passion in life. Now there's a pressure that I can't find any passion in life. <laughs> so I'm a loser. What Krishna says here is go back to the basics. Are you doing what you are supposed to be doing? How are the basics in your life? Have you, have you fulfilled your responsibilities? What is the feedback from other people in society about you? Are those things okay? Then after that you search for your passion in life. <laughs> in Indian society at least it's changing now. But until recently it was just the opposite. Both have their advantages and disadvantages. In Indian society, I, I know if uh, a kid said, Oh, I'm going to drop out of college and I'm going to paint or play the guitar. What are you doing following your passion? You'd be condemned all around. Because a good kid is the one who studies, fulfills uh, his duties, his or her duties in life, what is expected from parents and from the society and all of that. If you have done that, you can take satisfaction in having done what you are supposed to be doing. And there's a negative side to that also. There's a negative side to that. So there are these two opposites. Yes. So Swamiji, uh, when you mentioned the previous point where we have to do our responsibilities without like totally getting into pressurized into getting a meaning. So uh, is performing responsibility without knowing where we are going or where like what we should be doing after like some time sometime later? Is that sustainable? Like just doing the things that we have to do without knowing where we are going because of that? Now where you are going, even if you don't do it, you don't know. <laughs> right? It is important to have a high goal in life. Now, to have a high goal in life, these are the things which help us. That will Should the goal be pleasure? No. Because ultimately it will lead to unhappiness. Should the goal be my career, my hobby, my passion? It's little better than pleasure, but ultimately it's still not, not enough. Should it be a meaningful life? Yeah. Now, what is a meaningful life? That will differ from, and it may differ at different times in our life also. That's why in, um, in India, the highest goal was always kept as spirituality, which is just sheer meaningfulness. If a person has that, person doesn't need anything else. Look at somebody like Mahatma Gandhi. Um, so he had this tremendous thing that he is doing for millions of his countrymen. And so he didn't need fancy clothes. A loincloth was enough for him. He went to meet the, uh, what was that? I think, uh, Churchill. not Churchill, uh, King George. Yeah. And uh, they asked him, Mr. Gandhi, do you think this is appropriate? It's in the movie also, it happened really. And they do you think it's appropriately dressed uh, to meet the, uh, the king? King George. king George, who wore all the medals and you know, is gorgeously dressed. So uh, Gandhi replied, I think he wore enough for both of us. <laughs> Good, really delicious food and uh, prepared by the best chefs, not important. Not important. Clothes, not important. Um, where you stay, how much you have got in your bank balance, how much you have made over... 
not important why because he has found something which is such so meaningful so fulfilling the rest of it does not matter it'll just be irritating let's go and anybody who has found meaning in life i met a few people uh, there was a conference for inspiring young people in india there were some who were the we had got a panel of people who would be young who are young and have done something interesting in their lives which would be inspiring for school for college kids among them was there were a couple of silicon valley millionaires who had their own startups and they had given it all up one was running an ngo in karnataka to teach school kids in rural karnataka another was engaged in uh, in a, in an ngo whose task was to gather used clothes so that they could be given to very poor people um who did not have clothes things like that now one thing they were asked all of them all of them had given up the so called pleasurable life or even successful life see pleasure engagement kama artha they had given it up and they were doing something else and people were saying oh what a great sacrifice you have made wrong i was the moderator for the discussion so i asked all of them the entire panel all of these people were like very motivating people in for society i said do you think you made a sacrifice and all of them said no we have given up something much lower for something much better people think that you are doing something idealistic and you are made such a sacrifice no 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 even if you are given uh, that old life back i wouldn't take it because i'm much happier now because why are they happier right now they are not earn- they are earning much less than they were earning earlier they are having much less parties and fun than they were having uh, earlier then how are they happier now meaning uh, the last one seligman's equation pleasure engagement meaning your feelings sustainable feelings or over time if um, if you want a more technical definition psychologists will call it positive effect if that helps but it is that you always relatively compare with some existing experience you find that and you say i am happy yes and it's a chain vicious chain right? what do you do for example you said cookie right yeah if i repeat it and i do a little comparison with the existing experience and you find it does not hmm yes correct correct yes isn't that the happiness but why sentiment says that happiness is that deepest deepest thing yeah so happiness is not just pleasure that's what we just discussed it could be anything right? just comparison to the current experience could be any parameter but comparison to the current experience and if there's a delta there's happiness no you're on to next not necessarily not necessarily a person who is has a meaningful life for example so one example the seligman gives is of moms with young children so very little of their day to day lives is pleasurable and they are often irritated overworked but over the years if you ask them look back on the last 5 years of raising the kid was it satisfying almost all of them will say it's it was very fulfilling fulfilling any one of that at any point if you ask what is your delta in this in ha- happiness uh, they'll say i'm not at all happy do can't you see <laughs> I, i'm overworked i don't get enough sleep i'm tired 
and uh, um, they, 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 they even say this kid has just ruined my life. They may even even say all these things. But in general, because that that this person depends on me, that automatically gives though it's biological, but it automatically gives a certain amount of uh, meaning to life. No, I'm not very sure. One thing one one must understand: this imperative to be happy. Suppose you ask this question: No, why should we try to be happy at all? It's a meaningless question. Do you see in depth? Our primary drive is to avoid unhappiness, overcome unhappiness, and be happy. Your definition of happiness might might change. Your definition, your understanding of happiness, you can call it some other, you can call it names, you can call it satisfaction, you can call it fulfillment, you can call it bliss. I know some very intelligent people said, no, this idea that we are meant for chasing happiness is not correct. He's a scientist. So he has written in his book that whether it makes me happy or unhappy, I want the truth. I am pursuing, I want to solve these mysteries of the universe. Great. And I wondered, how can such an intelligent person be so stupid? Just ask the question, discovering the truth satisfies you or makes you dissatisfied? Satisfied. That is happiness. Pursuit of happiness, call it pleasure, satisfaction, joy, whatever you call it, fulfillment. It is primary for all conscious beings. And overcoming unhappiness, sorrow, is primary. Dispute that. Dispute it. Think about it. If you think a little bit about it, you will see it is there. Mm. Yes. Why would you want a definition of peace? You know it when you have you've got it. <laughs> you, you know it when you feel it. Yes. Yes. That's a very wise thing to say, sir. In spiritual life, this pleasure or excitement or thrill, that is not happiness. Peace is happiness. Yes. yes. Contentment, peace, deep peace. Yoga. Yoga. Patanjali Yoga. What is the definition of yoga? Yoga, chitta vritti, nirodha. The complete serenity, quietness, the peace of the mind is yoga. That is happiness. An immature person thinks a thrill is happiness. Excitement is happiness. In this country especially, it's become a fashion to say, are you excited? In Vedanta, this is, uh, they would ask, why are you excited? What's wrong with you? Don't be excited. <laughs> that is true. Peace of mind is a deeper, is the deepest happiness. Okay. Now, uh, let me go ahead. Thirty-fourth verse. Akirtim cha pibhutani 
ಅಕೀರ್ತಿಂಚಾಪಿಭೂತಾಕೀರ್ತಿಂಚಾಕೀರ್ತಿಂಚ್ಯತೆ ಅಕೀರ್ತಿಂ ಚಾಪಿಭೂತಾನಿ ಕಥಯಿಷ್ಯಂತಿ ತೇ ಅವ್ಯಯಂ ಸಂಭಾವಿತಸ್ಯಕೀರ್ತಿ ಮರಣಾದ್ ಅತಿರಿಚ್ಯತೆ ಪೀಪಲ್ ವಿಲ್ ಟಾಕ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಯುವರ್ ಎವರ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ಡಿಸಾನರ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಫಾರ್ ಒನ್ ಹೆಲ್ಡ್ ಇನ್ ಎಸ್ಟೀಮ್ ಬೈ ಮೆನಿ ಇನ್ಫೆಮಿ ಡಿಸಾನರ್ ಇಸ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ದೆನ್ ಡೆತ್ so it's an appeal to honor no very not very deep uh, philosophy here he says for a person of repute to lose reputation is far worse than to lose wealth or health or anything else reputation is very important and remember arjuna was a warrior very well known warrior he says you're going to lose all of that then people will criticize you what will they say 35 bhayadranaduparatam ಭಯಾದ್ರಣಾದುಪರತ ಮಂಸ್ಯಂತೆ ಮಹಾರಥ ಮಂಸ್ಯಂತೆ ಮಹಾರಥ ಯಾಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂಚಂ
uh, and it, you don't remember that, and it, it's it's all right. I mean, and uh, I, I don't even remember the number of times he's <laughs> yelled at me. Um, his way of say waking up the novices, you have to, to go at meditate at four o'clock in the morning. So his way of waking them up, and for most of us, we are not used to getting up so early in the morning. So his his way of wake, waking up the youngsters would be to go and kick the door. <laughs> In the early in the morning, it's still dark, and you would hear an almighty bang on the door, and uh, and a shout, uh, "You rascal! How long are you going to sleep? Up with you! <laughs> I want to see you in the temple." I remember the first time I saw that. Uh, I mean, I, I was just three or four days into the. I just joined. I was sitting, and there was this sudden. I'm meditating early in the morning. This blinding light, and I thought I was enlightened. I thought already. <laughs> It's just been three days, <laughs> and then I saw no in the in the temple. This uh, monk, this tough monk, he's there with a, with a, a flashlight. He's looking at each of the youngsters to see who has come and who is missing. So he's t- taking their names. It's dark in the temple, so you can't make out who's who. Um, that's one side of it. That's that's one kind of person. The other kind of person is uh, another monk whose name I won't mention. He is. A, only once or twice he scolded me, and I'll never forget it in my whole life. I mean, this scolding was just like this. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't a lie, it was kind of an evasive thing. He asked me to do something, and I hadn't for, totally forgotten about it. When he asked me again, where is that letter? And I said, oh yes, I'll do it. Neglecting to mention that I had forgotten about it. I, I should have said, I've forgotten about it, I'm sorry, I'll go and do it now. I sort of pretending as if I was about to do it, and he called. He was the head of the center. He said, "Come back here." I was, I was rushing off <laughs> quickly, <laughs> disappearing. He said, "Come back here." He just said one thing, and uh, I'll and I can never forget it as long as I live. He just said, "If that's what you're going to be, why be a monk?" And I felt like I could have sunk through the floor, you know, <laughs> because you hold this person in such high repute, and if you have fallen low in, in his uh, eyes, yeah. Um, so, this is the thing, reputation. So Krishna is a very good psychologist. He says, where philosophy won't work, psychology is going to work. <laughs> then 37. What's going to happen if he actually does it? Either he's going to win or lose. Krishna is now going to show him both ways he wins. Hatova prapsyasi swargam Hatova prapsyasi swargam Jitva vabhokshase mahim Jetva vabhokshase mahim Tasma duttishthakaunteya Duttishthakaunteya Yuddhaya krita nishchaya Yuddhaya krita nishchaya If you lose the battle, you will be killed in battle and you will attain heaven reserved for the great warriors who have fought there, you know, and done their best in battle. Or if you are victorious, then you will gain the kingdom. So in both ways, you are the gainer. See, this is an answer to something that Arjuna had asked him. Just before Krishna starts teaching, Arjuna had said in the sixth verse of this very chapter, he had said, 
नचैतद्विदरन्नो गरीयो यद्वा जयेम यदिवा न जयेयो आई डोंट नो वेन यू आर सेंग आई वोट फाइट दिस बैटल I don't know which is better this thing is so horrible I don't know which is better is it better to lose at least I won't kill these people or is it better to win because winning is good but, but what good is winning because uh, it will be a uh, this, this kingdom is uh, gained at the loss uh, cost of my relatives blood and it's a civil war so I lose whether I win or I or I um, lose the battle in both ways I am the loser and krishna says he has reversed the thing he is using the same language to say in both cases whether you win the battle or lose the battle in both cases you are the winner see the whole difference is from taking a selfish attitude to what's going to happen to me versus doing the right thing if you do the right thing whatever the result you are the winner hatova prapsyasi swargam if you are killed you will get the heavenly heavenly realms and if you um win you will get the king uh, the kingdom the kingdom of the earth you will get it the commentator says paksha dvaya pitava labha in both cases you 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 are the you you come out ahead i remember this um this question about somebody asked what should we do in life is just keep on doing what is our responsibility or what is the uh, what is the thing to do in life how do you know what what is going to be meaningful for me seligman says do the thing which is meaningful do the thing which is purposeful meaningful but even there if you say that whether the slogan is find your passion difficult I've been trying so many years all the passion has gone out of my life but I'm still I haven't been able to find my passion gone that is not working but if you, if you say something like find a meaningful life even that also uh, how do you find a meaningful life suppose somebody asks so there was this uh, there, there is this young man um who graduated from india one of india's best engineering colleges and from in, uh, one of india's top management schools and those who know iit and iim and then what he did was he started an orphanage for kids and now there are more than a thousand kids who don't have parents or at least have one parent or no parents or the parents are too poor to take care of them more than a thousand boys and girls he takes care of them and he has been tremendously successful because his approach is it's not that i'm running an ngo you know and i'm doing some good to society not that way he says my approach is like i am their father and mother i take unlimited responsibility like real parents will do until the boy or the girl grows up and gets a job and moves out until that time i have full responsibility i take complete responsibility for the child other ngos what they do is ngos are uh, non what you call non profits in this country and non profits what they do is somebody provides um, um um food for the kids somebody provides clothes or somebody provides a school bag or pencils you can't bring up a child like that a, a little boy or a girl you can't bring it bring up a child like that by getting a half a dozen different agencies agencies to provide a few <laughs> the necessities of life that's not the way to bring up a kid and he says i will take care of everything for the kid i'm like their parent 
So he's very very successful. He got the India in the President's Award in India for um, children's welfare a few years ago, and so on. Now m- my point in raising this is two things. We were in a conference together. He's a very deep thinker. He is d- very motivated by Vivekananda. Uh, he reads the writings of Vivekananda, and everything that he has done has come out of the teachings of Vivekananda. Now, two two questions here. One question is, how did he find this meaningful life? How did he come come upon this? The second question is, what motivates him? Both are relevant here. Somebody asked him that where do you, uh, how did you decide to do this? It's a meaningful life, correct? Like Seligman would say, how did you decide to do this? His answer was very interesting. He's an original thinker. He said, um, I didn't decide to do it. What what happened was, after finishing college, I was thinking, what should I do? And I, I couldn't come up on any answer. So I just thought, what should I not do? What is it that does not motivate me? So do I want to be an executive in a multinational corporation like most of my classmates? He said, no, that quite doesn't quite motivate me. Do I want to be a professor like my teachers? No, that quite doesn't mo- that doesn't quite motivate me. What he just was looking, you know, what what is uh, the feeling in his own heart? Like you're saying, what is inside your heart? Is he was actually actively searching what comes up within. And then he noticed these children, street children. This is in Calcutta, outside Calcutta. I am Calcutta. He found these street children outside, and he felt they need me, and I can really help them. And does it satisfy me? Yes, he felt a call in his heart. I should do something for them. And no sooner had he thought, than he went out and did it. He got three kids. He started with three kids from straight up the street. He uh, rented a room, took the three kids in, started taking care of them, educating them. I remember years later, a group of young men had come to start a non-profit and they were asking for advice from me. And I asked, what's the problem? Oh, registering the non-profit, there are all these legal clauses and fundraising there are this problem and that problem i said what have you done so far no we haven't started yet but we are i said contrasted with this guy who is running this model non-profit he didn't start with the problems he started with <laughs> with what the kids needed right now they don't have a place to sleep tonight they need a bath they need food they need education and I'm going to provide it. The rest will come. Of course, he's, he's extraordinarily talented. So the organization he's built up is very well organized. I mean, it, it's uh, uh, very efficient, uh, extraordinary. I mean, really, it has grown so, so, so well. So notice this. How do you find a meaningful life? If, you, if it's difficult to ask, if it's, uh, you're not getting an answer, what is meaningful for me? No answer. Not very clear. Then find out what is not meaningful for you. That is easy, easier actually. Then you might actually stumble upon what is meaningful. So that was one, one question. The second question he answered was this thing. The question of motivation. What motivates you? He said, I have two kinds of motivations, motivators. Intrinsic and extrinsic. Extrinsic is, I look at what I'm doing and how successful I have been and what I need to do next. So I started with three kids and then it was 50, then it was 100, then it was 500, now it's 1,000. And good. 
we are expanding and doing more and more and why not we are able to do so much but he said i have an intrinsic motivator too that i know this is the right thing to do this is really needed and it should be done now the thing is the extrinsic motivator might not work there are so many non profits some of them are not doing well at all maybe i would have failed extern uh, ex- extrinsically maybe there would be no money no helpers and the organization might not have really expanded the way it has grown phenomenally it, it might not have happened but i would still go on because my intrinsic motivator told me this is the right thing to do this is the right thing to do whether you win or lose i still win this is exactly what krishna is telling arjuna whether if you take this outlook this point of view then whether you win this battle or lose this battle you lose you win in both cases 38 verse he is concluding his uh, argument sukhadukhe same kritva sukhadukhe same kritva labha labho jaya jayo labha labho jaya jayo tato yuddhaya yujjasva tato yuddhaya yujjasva naivam papam avapsyasi naivam papam avapsyasi very beautiful verse happiness and pain or pleasure and pain not happiness and pain pleasure and pain set them aside gain and loss labha labha gain and loss set them aside jaya ajaya victory and defeat set them aside whether it's painful whether it's pleasurable whether you are gaining or losing whether you are um, uh, or whether it's a victory or a defeat set them aside set your heart to do what is the right thing to do then you will not be touched by sin papa demerit sin this is again a subtle uh, not not so subtle indicated to what arjuna had said in the 36th verse just before krishna started uh, teaching 36th verse of first chapter 36th verse of first chapter arjuna had said papam eva ashraye rasman we will we will incur sin by fighting this battle krishna is saying do it in this way you will not get sin do the right thing without the mental attitude i what why am i doing it i am doing it to be it will be it will be uh, i will be happy if i gain and gain means victory defeat means a loss and loss will make me unhappy this kind of happiness unhappiness equation you have set up is bound to make you unhappy set this aside really if you want to be happy then do the right thing without regard to whether you get pleasure or pain you know the this pleasure or pain or happiness and unhappiness equation you have set up is dependent on gain or loss the common uh, the warrior in that battle they will be happy if they get if, if they win the battle if they win the battle they think it's a gain in sanskrit jaya jaya means victory victory is labha gain labha leads to sukha happiness and ajaya that means defeat is uh, equivalent to uh, alava loss and loss leads to dukkha uh, unhappiness 
This equation itself you throw out. Set, them, set this kind of thinking aside. Do the right thing, happiness is guaranteed for you. And you will not incur sin. You see, that thing was nagging at him that we are, this is a battle I'm fighting and these people are my relatives. So if I, even if they are bad people, but if I fight against them, won't I get sin? No, you will not get sin. You will not get sin. The mental attitude is important. I'm fighting against them to snatch the kingdom away from them. Ah, then it's a very dicey situation. It, the moral, moral thing is, is clouded there. You're doing it because it's your duty to protect society. Clarity is there. Yeah. Have you heard of Jordan Peterson? He is very famous these days. He is. Uh, he speaks to packed houses. He comes to New York sometimes. He is a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. But a little controversial. But he has written this book which is a huge, huge um, bestseller. It's called 12 Rules for Success in Life or something. 12 Rules of Life. 12 Rules of Life. 12 Rules of For Life. 12 Rules for Life. Where the basic idea is exactly this kind of thinking. For example, set your house in order before you criticize the world. In which he has a whole chapter on that. That do what you are expected to do first. Before opening your mouth and finding out what's wrong with others. And he says, this are, these are the, he calls it the antidote to chaos. Your life is in chaos because of you are violating these rules. Something like stand up straight when you walk or something like that. He says, compare yourself not to what somebody else is today. But rather to what you were yesterday. Never compare yourself to other people, what they are today. That will lead to unhappiness straight away. If you want to compare, compare to what you were yesterday. You may be a little better, a little worse than that. That is a valuable comparison. That, that lesson can be learned from that. Like that, 12 rules. <laughs> but basically this kind of thinking, yes. So uh, I have a question about Mahabharata and the context under which the Gita was told. Yes. When the Pandavas raised the war or the war started to begin between Kauravas and Pandavas, it wasn't really because Duryodhana was, was a bad ruler and uh, the people of the of Hastinapur will incur the wrath of a bad ruler. It was really because they asked for the five villages and he refused to give it to them. So ultimately And also the long history before that. And, and the history before uh, yeah, yeah. But to, to say that fight the war because it is in the best interest of the people at large yeah. does not really uh, speak to the reality behind why the war was waged in the first place. Um, it was It was waged for dharma. It would be difficult for Duryodhana to be a good ruler because all that, the entire history of uh, the Kauravas of Duryodhana until that point was of maliciousness and envy and uh, trying to take away the kingdom which really did not belong to him, take it away from Yudhishthira. That's how the story is set up. And uh, the Pandavas under uh, Krishna is uh, trying to accommodate them again and again and again. And a series of uh, wrongs which had been committed to them uh, on, on the Pandavas by the Kauravas. So that's the history. If Duryodhana turns out to be a good ruler after all of this, it would be a little surprising. Um, and, and the Mahabharata does not really say that. Uh, Mahabharata says, in fact, Yudhishthira was, uh, was, um, was supposed to be Dharmaputra and things like that. So yeah, it has been set up as a battle of the Dharma against Adharma. That is there. 
बट आई विल पॉइंट आउट वन थिंग नीदर द कॉन्टेक्स्ट ऑफ महाभारत नॉर वेदर द क्वेश्चन ऑफ द बैटल फील्ड एंड बैटल दीज आर नॉट एक्चुअली इंपॉर्टेंट इफ द इफ एन एंशियंट सिविल वॉर विच इज hidden in uh, in the in the gray area between myth and history nor the question of warriors fighting a war in ancient india what utility does that have what relevance does that have to millions of people across the centuries and millennia how many of us are warriors with chariots and bows and swords fighting against relatives for a kingdom no one so why is it relevant to us often we get caught up in the questions which arise from the mahabharata context who was right who was wrong and a related question is is the geeta promoting violence and war foolishness this kind of question is foolish so why is it foolishness because so many commentaries have been written on the bhagavad gita Shankaracharya's commentary um you have got Madhvacharya's commentary you have got Ramanujacharya's commentary you have got Madhusudan Saraswati's commentary Sri, these are only the ones i know Sridhar Swami's commentary these are the ones we study and there are many many more down to the present age down to the present age not one commentary ever takes it up in the context of a war so are we going to fight war is it is it um, is krishna teaching us to fight um uh, is krishna teaching violence and is he supporting warfare against peace some it's only in the modern time partly some western commentators and now some indian commentators also born out of the sheer perversity of modern time thinking they have raised this question that gita encourages violence because on the face of it it seems to be so if it does why has no commentator ever seen it for the last thousand at least 1400 years nobody ever mentions it you know where it comes from this question that is the gita gita is talking about violence it comes from uh, two two things one is the tremendous guilt that is in the west especially in europe for these huge wars which took place in 20th century the and both wars were entirely secular wars and nothing to do with religion there's enormous guilt in the western mind because of that and because of that these questions keep coming up oh you're linking war to religion no no very bad one thing the second reason why this question comes up is because nowadays in some people they commit acts of terrorism based on religion that's why suddenly it is connected to gita war religion nothing to do with it mahatma gandhi derives his doctrine of non violence and he is inspired by bhagavad gita yes Kill someone or, or, or start a battle, but 
because we think God has told us to. Yes. Um, that's why I said Mahatma Gandhi, who took up non-violence as his preferred method of political uh, agitation against the British rulers, he was inspired by the same text. He'd, Gita straight away, if, if you think like that, Gita will say, you fight a battle. But uh, he doesn't say so. And again, so many people uh, throughout the centuries, including monks who are pacifists, absolutely. So why are we studying the Gita? Are we all going out to fight battles? No. It's a call to action in our own respective battlefields. The, clearly the meaning has to be symbolic. Otherwise, um, we have to give a new interpretation in that case. It's this kind of thinking. Um, it, it, as I said, it's the modern sensibility. Um, both in the West and now its impact on, the, on India too. I've seen an Indian commentator saying that, See, Krishna taught violence. Would Buddha have ever said that? So There's a well-known writer who, who wrote that. Foolishness. It's not a problem of the Gita. You are thinking about it right now because violence is in your mind. Yeah. Hatred, violence, this is in your mind. You are guilty of, of killing millions of people in the 20th century. And what you refer to that, that um, example, that's a different issue. You see, religion is never a good guide towards um, policy right now. It's the heart of the person which is the most important. Organized religions have always been, uh, they have always played second fiddle to the powers that be. In every country, in every civilization. You will hardly find the, um, the priests uh, or the, the church and all standing up in revolt against the emperor or the king. No, they have always been together. There is one reason for that. What belongs to Caesar does not belong to God. The Caesar's rule on the world is a secular thing. The central purpose of religion is spiritual. Take you towards spiritual life. And it becomes a guide to, um, to morality in the world. This thing has been lost sight of in the modern world. Most major world religions, people think of religion as something that is meant for giving us Morals and values. It is. But not centrally. The central purpose of religion is it takes you to God. To God realization, to moksha, nirvana, salvation, whatever you call it. It was well, it was well understood in, in the past. What has happened in the last two, three hundred years is that because, as Nietzsche said, death of God. Since our faith in God, generally people do not seriously believe in God. So, um, God, yes, something is there. God knows what is God. But religion is good because it makes us tell the truth and respect each other and uh, all of that. So, it's a source of values. And so, we get shocked when somebody uses religion to justify violence. Because it doesn't seem to be, it seems to be against values. But religion is not primarily for that. You'll often find um, churches and popes have stood with the emperors and, and uh, uh, the powers which make war throughout history. Not only in the West, everywhere in the world. And it's understandable because uh, um, they really are not invested in the politics. They want to protect their own, uh, um, their, their temples and churches and the following and the wealth and the power. And for that the best thing is to be associated with the powerful person. And they will immediate see in in the in the Holocaust, um, the 
the the um, church there 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 are accusations that they were um, closely associated with with some that some collaboration with the nazis too definitely with mussolini why you, you can criticize them now but i'll play the devil's advocate here <laughs> that uh, they are always their first interest is to protect uh, the church itself and are they wrong not quite because they see themselves in terms of thousands of years not your little war today yeah sri ramakrishna's importance is here he has for the first time he has strongly made it clear that purpose of religion is god realization again and again and again he says god exists the purpose of human life is god realization the purpose of religion is god realization my god we have really gone out beyond time <laughs> i'm just seeing this stuff let's just hear the question and then we'll end yes yes Yes. So, and in regular life also, if we believe in the message of Satchidananda, how does one motivate oneself to go out and do stuff on a day-to-day basis? We'll reserve that for the next time because the subject is karma yoga, and the reason we did not talk so much about Satchidananda and Brahman and all of that, remember, the topic of Gyanay Yoga has concluded, where we talked about all of these things. Now Krishna is using um, morality, his sense of honor and duty. to persuade arjuna to do what krishna wants him to do and now we will go into the philosophy of action what you are asking how do i live life with all this high philosophy how do i live life how do i guide my actions in day to day life what do i do with my life now if i want to be an enlightened person that's the very important subject which is coming up next class i'm sorry i really went out beyond time my god शाशाते हरि ओ तत्सत्मकृष्णारूपण